Good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us today. Welcome to you all. If you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us today as we worship our Lord and Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. I want to read a scripture to you as we begin our time together today. Psalm 147, verse 1. 147, verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. It is right, it is good, it is fitting to sing praises to God. He is worthy of it. He is glorious and amazing and awesome in absolutely every way. So I want to encourage you this morning, the Bible commands us to see how great God is and then to respond to that by singing. Singing is not just something that you do because you're good at it. I'm not. Trust me. No one here is judging you. Simon Cowell is not standing up here going, sound a little pitchy. You have today an audience of one. You sing to your great God because he says, if I'm that good, sing to me. So I want to encourage you this morning. See how great God is and sing to him. God, we just thank you. We love you. We praise you. We ask you today that you would inhabit our praises and allow us to sing for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Good morning, church. Let's sing a new song today. My soul will wait.
As we sing praises to the Lord, talked about how God's word says that singing to him is a proper response for who he is. And, and also prayer is a proper response, obviously, to who God is. And, and in prayer, uh, praising him. I, I want to encourage you as you think through your own personal prayer life time with the Lord, so often in our time in prayer, we just kind of jump straight to the needs that we feel like we have in our life, right? We just kind of rattle those things off for God uh, to jump in and do something about. But as Jesus was giving us his model prayer in Matthew 6, the first thing he starts with is not the needs. Now, he'll get to that, give us this day our daily bread, but he starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What he's doing is, hallowed means holy. Right? And so he's, he's praising God. Right? He's, he's calling out to God and, and, and praising God for who he is. He's a great dad and he is holy and powerful and other. And because he is all that, we can submit our request to him. So uh, this morning I'd, I'd like to spend a little time in our prayer time together doing that praising God. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me and And I want to hear you praise God. So for our prayer time here this morning, the floor is yours. Just real brief, a couple of words. Who is God? Who are you praising God for being today? Let's just all over this room, just right now, just lift up your voices. Who is God? Let's praise his name.
Amen. Who is God to you? Amen. He's our Father. He's our hope. Savior. Constant. Amen. 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 God, you are all of this and so much more. And our words, our lips, they fall short. We don't know. You're so glorious and amazing. We, we don't know exactly how to fully praise you. Your, your, your praise is worth far more than anything we can utter or come up with or think of. I ask you, God, that you would fill us with praise. And that praise comes from us seeing you for who you really are. So I pray, God, that happens first. Let us see you, God, for who you are. Glorious and amazing. The most wonderful and amazing treasure in the universe. Worthy of, of, of letting go of everything else, everyone else. Our love for you, our desire for you, makes everything, every other relationship, every other pursuit look small because we see you as so great. I ask you, Lord, that you would allow us to see you for who you are. And then from there, be filled with praises for you. Thank you, God. I pray, God, that our praising of you will not stop here, but you would empower us, God, and let us see the importance of doing this all the time as we pray and as we go through life and as we go through times of trial and all of these things, praising you because you're worthy. Thank you, God. Thank you. We love you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. And God's people said, Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find John chapter 18 together. John 18. Uh, that's going to be in your New Testament. Um, John 18. We're going to get there. We've got a little work to do before we get there, but we're going to get there. John 18. All right. So we're jumping back into our series called The Story. And the idea behind this series is we're laying out the big story of the Bible. The, the idea that we're trying to help you understand is many of us, the reason that you struggled with the Bible, the reason you struggled in Christianity is because of the way that you have wrongly viewed the Bible. Many of us view the Bible like we view a medicine cabinet, right? You've got different medicines in your medicine cabinet. When you have an illness, you go to the medicine cabinet, you find whatever fixed that issue, and you take that to fix that. And we treat the Bible in that way. Right? Whenever you have a problem, you go to the Bible to fix that problem. Right? So you struggle with fear, so you go to the Bible for a verse on fear. You struggle with doubt, so you go to the Bible to find a verse on doubt. You struggle with this particular sin, so you go to the Bible to find a verse on that particular sin. Now that's not wrong. That's perfectly fine. That's one of the things that the Bible does for us. Yes, indeed. Yes and amen. But what I've been trying to help you understand in the last several weeks, and we'll continue on through the summer in the series, is... The only way that doing that works is if you understand that's not the main idea. The big idea of the Bible is it's one story, one truth about one hero, and his name is God. So listen, very important. I need you to understand me. Listen, the Bible was written for you, 
but the Bible was not written about you. You're not the point. And the reason that you've struggled with the Bible is because you've tried to make you the point. You've gone to the Bible to try to find verses to help your life. Does it do that? Of course. But only if we understand the main point of the Bible is God, not us. The main point of the Bible is to point us to God. As we see how glorious and amazing and beautiful He is, we're drawn to Him. Right. So, we've been going through this idea. And so today, our big truth we want to help you understand is that God is king. And all throughout the Bible, you see this kingly theme. Uh, even in the very beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, it's not just God creating. God is a king ruling over his good creation. And not only that, he also gives us opportunity to rule with him. I'll read for you Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Listen to this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, kingship, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over all every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. The point was kingship. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit in Genesis chapter 3, they weren't just doing a bad thing they were told not to do. Listen to this. They were picking a new king. God was their king. God was to rule over them. God was to be their authority. But instead of allowing God to be their king and submitting to God as their king, they picked a new king, Satan. And when they picked that new king, something shifted in the universe, something shifted in the world, something changed. Satan was given new authority that he had not had previously. And you see this throughout the Bible. In John 12, 31, it calls Satan the ruler of this world. In Ephesians 2, 2, it calls Satan the prince, the power of the air. Hear those words, ruler, prince. This is king-type language. When you sin, you are choosing a new king. Sinning is not just doing a bad thing you shouldn't do. Sin is picking a new king rather than God. I don't want God to be my king. I want to be my king. I want to do what I want to do. I have a kingdom, and I will rule over it. So, Adam and Eve, pick a new king, Satan. The world collapses in the fall. We've already seen that part. And then the rest of the Bible is about God setting back up his rule, setting back up his kingdom rescuing his people from, the Bible Colossians would say, rescuing his people from the domain, the kingdom, the kingship of darkness. He rescues you from that rule and reign of evil and tyranny and darkness and sin and pain. He rescues you from that and brings you back into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. This is the whole point of the Bible. It's about God as king rescuing his rebellious Stupid kids 
from submitting themselves to an evil king. This is the whole Bible. And you see this all throughout the scriptures in the book of Exodus when God is rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. He's showing himself to be a better king over Pharaoh. Pharaoh was considered to be the most powerful king on earth. The whole point of Exodus is God saying, I'm a greater king. When God sets up his covenant with his people on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, even in the covenant, there's kingship language. Exodus 19, verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. He's king, he's ruler. Verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God was their king. Israel was his kingdom. The tabernacle and temple were his palace. The whole point of all of this is God is king. And when he leads them into the promised land, the book of Joshua, you see this king leading his people in victory. Joshua 21, 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. God is king over his people. He's setting up a land for his people. He's ruling over his people. However, after Joshua died, the people rebelled and decided to do what was good in their own mind. Judges 2, 11 and 12. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They were rebelling against God again. The people of God being rescued by their king were once again rebelling against their king. And that culminated in even a greater rebellion, a part of that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is the people desired a different king. They even verbalized it. It's one thing to do something but not really say it. It's a different thing to go, no, no, no. I don't want you as king anymore. I want this one. Which is exactly what they did. 1 Samuel 8, 5. They went to Samuel and said, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like them. We don't want to be special and just serve our God. We want a God like everyone else. And this is exactly, again, the very heart of all sin and rebellion against God. We want a different king. We don't want God to rule us. We don't want to submit ourselves to him. We want a new king, a different king. I want to be like them. And this is the heart of it all. And God warned them, look, this earthly king that you want, it's going to be bad and it's going to be destructive. He's going to harm you. He warned them, but here's what God did. He allowed them to get what they were asking for. Because, listen, see if you're tracking with this. Sometimes being warned something is bad isn't enough. you got to experience it. Amen? Right? You can say amen or oh my, right? whichever one fits for you. Right? They were like, look, don't date that girl. She's crazy. And then you marry her. Uh, whatever. Don't look. Guys right here. Eyes. Eyes right here. 
sometimes you have to experience a thing to go, oh, so that's what God was talking about. That's right. Got it. So that's what they did. They said, we want a king. God said, you want a king? I'll give you a king. So he gave them their first king, King Saul. And Saul indeed lived up to what God said he was going to do. He was selfish. He was violent. He was disobedient to God. He cared way more about himself than he did serving God or serving his people. It did not go well. However, God desired to raise up a new and better king. And in 1 Samuel 13, 14, God says that this new king he's going to raise up is going to be a king that pursues the heart of God. And so we see that happening. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see this man being selected. I just want to kind of read through that so you can see it. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, asks to see all of his sons. Verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Remember, God already said he was looking for a man after his own heart. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are, you, are, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And eventually Saul is going to die, David is going to become king, and God doesn't just make David king, but he also makes a covenant with David, a, 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 a re special relationship with David that promises that not only to set David up as king, but to give his family a forever kingdom. A kingly lineage that will never end. 2 Samuel 7, 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, this is God talking to David, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God was promising David and his family this forever kingdom. So David continues on as king and this seems to be happening, right? David is king. David prospers. Israel is blessed. It's going very well. David then dies and Solomon his son becomes king and things go even better for Solomon. 1 Kings 10, 23 and 24. Listen to this. King Solomon excelled 
all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. God's covenant promise of setting up this amazing kingdom seems to be happening, right? You got David being blessed and Solomon being blessed even beyond that. And he's wealthier and wiser and more powerful than any king that's ever lived. And you go, this must be it. Right? This is the kingdom that God is setting up. However, people are fallen. And people are not perfect. And even the greatest among us is prone to sin. With Solomon, that's exactly what he did. Instead of governing and guiding God's people according to God's good word, Solomon the king became selfish he started amassing for himself wealth and amassing for himself power and amassing for himself a name. He started amassing women. I mean, dude was collecting women like we used to collect baseball cards. And it was just constant. And then it gets even worse. He starts gathering all these wives and concubines, women from other lands. And then he starts worshiping and sacrificing to their false gods, which leads the nation of Israel into sin and rebellion. Because as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. And so Solomon sins. And God tells Solomon in 1 Kings 11, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. And this is exactly what he did. Solomon dies. The kingdom eventually is handed over. Solomon's sons are just morons. So, so side note, not in the sermon, like you're building this fortune you're going to give your kids. You don't know that they're going to do that well. All right? So don't let that just be the goal. Um, he hands it over to the sons. The sons train wreck it. Eventually the kingdom divides in two. Northern kingdom called Israel. Southern kingdom called Judah. Both eventually dive head first into sin and rebellion. The northern kingdom first. The northern kingdom fell very quickly. All the godly people left Israel and went south to Judah, which is why to this day, if you're godly and smart, you move south. <laughs> it's biblical. Glad you're here. Judah, however, eventually falls as well, and they are sent off into captivity. And we'll unpack that a little bit more next week, the captivity. But when they're thrust into captivity, think about what's happening. God promised to set his people up as a kingdom. A glorious, amazing, city shining on a hill kingdom. But they're stuck in a foreign land. They're exiled. They're slaves. They have no king. They have no kingdom. Everything seems to be destroyed. So I thought God promised a king. I thought God promised a kingdom. Have you ever felt like God promised something, but it doesn't seem to be happening? Welcome to the Bible. God promised this king. God promised this kingdom. Where was it? Well, God was still in control. God still had a plan. God was still going to send his king. In Isaiah chapter 9, this is one that we read at Christmas often. 
who was pushing forward, thinking about this king, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of the peace that will be, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Throughout the midst of this captivity, God was telling his people, I have not forgotten. I'm going to send a king and he is going to be glorious and he's going to far excel any earthly king that you've ever thought or imagined possible. And we know today that that king's name is what? Jesus. In fact, as the birth of Jesus was being told by the angel Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God hasn't forgotten. Jesus is the great king. In fact, when Jesus shows up, the very first sermon Jesus ever preached, Mark 1.14, very first sermon he ever preached, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The very first thing he says when he shows up is, I'm the king. The kingdom is here. Now turn from these false kings, turn from these false kingdoms, turn from these foolish things that you've been seeking after that cannot fully and totally save you and redeem you and turn to me, I'm your king and I'm setting up the true kingdom. This is the point of it all. This is what he's doing. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, this idea of the kingdom of God is a mega theme. Over 150 times in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is referenced. Jesus talks about it more than anyone. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. He's setting up the kingdom, and he is the true and right and glorious king. However, his kingdom looked a lot different than what we thought it was. His kingdom took a different shape. In fact, if you read through the gospel, specifically in the gospel of John, you see times where Jesus is teaching and doing miracles, and people see him and they go, oh my goodness, we need this guy to be our king. But instead of submitting to him as God king, they try to grab him and set him up like Caesar king. Right? We're going to set him up as our earthly king so he can set us free from Rome. Try to take Jesus and make him into a different kind of king. But he rebuked that and and rebuffed that and ran away from that. That wasn't what he was seeking to do. Jesus was setting up a different kind of king. He was a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom. And that's where we pick it up in John 18. John 18. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the longest introduction in the history of sermons. It gets quicker from here. John 18. Jesus has been arrested. 
Jesus has gone through the uh, betrayal of his friends. And now he is walking through this fake kangaroo court process that they've set up. And we pick it up in John 18, verse 33, with Jesus before Pilate, this Roman official. John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? This is the question we're after, right? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So you have this interesting thing. Pilate's trying to figure out what the world's going on here. Pilate can't get over the fact that there's something special about Jesus. He doesn't know what it is. He can't figure it out. He, he doesn't understand the dynamic. He's trying to figure out what is happening. Pilate's main concern is, is Jesus a threat to Rome? That's all Pilate really ultimately cares about. His job is to keep everything in check there in his little corner of the kingdom. So he's wanting to make sure Jesus isn't posing a threat to Caesar in Rome. And he doesn't quite figure this thing out because when Pilate thinks about a king, he thinks about Caesar, right? The emperor of Rome. Your commands are like the commands of God. In Pilate's mind, people do not arrest their king, they obey their king. In Pilate's mind, people do not kill their king for doing something they don't like, the king kills them for doing something he doesn't like. So this is not making sense for Pilate. He's not jiving with this. He's looking at Jesus and says, Everyone keeps calling you the king of the Jews, but instead of fighting for you, they hand you over to me. What is going on here? And Jesus steps in and starts to explain. And this is where I want us to see our first big idea. Jesus is a better king with a better kingdom. Verse 36 Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus tries to explain that his kingdom is unlike every other kingdom. Unlike all earthly kingdoms, the kingdom of Jesus does not originate here in this world. It originates in heaven. And in contrast to these other kingdoms of the world, every other kingdom was pushed forward by violence, right? Every kingdom that ever existed, it expanded and gained power and held power through violence. You think about the Roman Empire. If you you know, you took, you know, Western Civ in high school or college, right? You learn about the, 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 the different Romanas, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Well, the, uh, you know, historically, the Peace of Rome was we kill everyone who doesn't like us and call it peace. It was violent. It was bloody. It, it, it was dangerous. But Jesus' kingdom is different. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Its foundation is not violence. Its foundation is peace and love and mercy and grace. That's why he says there, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Jesus' kingdom is different than anything you or Pilate or Rome had ever seen. In verse 37, 
Then Pilate said to him, so, circle that word so, we'll come back to it in a second, so, you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That word so in the Greek is actually a little word of, of emphasis and sarcasm. Right? And so literally, you got to kind of read a little sarcasm into it. Some of you, like, you're bilingual, English and sarcasm. Here you go. Right? Pilate's speaking sarcastically. So, you are a king. And in Pilate's mind, again, none of this is making sense. He's like, you, you, a homeless, friendless, helpless Jew who is literally on death's door. I'm the only thing that can keep you alive. Oh, but you're a king. Again, it just doesn't make sense sense to him but jesus says this is what he came to do this is what he was born for this is why he came to earth jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of david he is the king his kingdom looks different but he is nonetheless the king this is why he came when the wise men came you remember in the beginning of the gospels the wise men came they came to herod and they said where is he he who was born the king of the jews Right, from the very beginning, this has been the whole point. And this is the purpose for which he came, to be the king, the true king. The entire Bible has been leading up to this. Jesus is the great king, and he has a forever kingdom. So here's what I want you to see. Here's, here's kind of where the rubber meets the road for us. You ready? Every single one of us serves a king. And I know we don't think in those terms, we don't use that language, and so just stick with me just for a second, let me try to unpack it. Every single one of us has a king. There is someone or something in your life that sits on a throne and tells you what to do and what not to do. Every one of us. For some of us, her king is self. We do what we want to do. We live how we want to live. Personal autonomy and self-fulfillment is the mantra of our day. And if anyone tries to stop us from doing what we believe will make us happy, we become angry at that. I dare you Look at someone who wants to divorce their spouse and say, I don't think God wants you to do that. They're not going to send you a Christmas card. They're going to be angry. And the reason they're going to be angry is because they're serving a king. And you kill for the king. Right? And that's the point. You die for the king. The king can't be attacked. For some... Your king is society. You do what this society tells you to do. You believe what this society tells you to believe. You fight for the things this society tells you to fight for. Your king is just simply this world. For some, a king is this dream of a future that we have. For some, you have this dream of this perfect job that's finally going to make your life better. And so you submit your entire life to pursuing that career. 
That is your king. And you do everything that king tells you to do to acquire what that king can give you. For some, a king is this perfect relationship. So we set everything aside and burn everything down in order to pursue this mythical one that's going to finally fulfill you. That dream is your king. Every single one of us allows someone or something to rule us. We are all Every one of us in submission to a king. The whole point of the Bible is trying to explain to us God is to be that king. Every time you try to find someone or something other than God to be your king, you're just following after the footsteps of your first parents, Adam and Eve. Right? They ate the fruit. Again, not just because they did something they shouldn't have done, But because another king slithered in and said, why don't you do this? And so they chose this king over the the king. That's exactly what we all do. Myself included. We choose another king. My desire for us today is that we take these blinders off, see that for what it is, and let God do a work. But the only way that happens... Again, in verse 37, our next point. Only those who live in the truth of Christ can enter his kingdom. Look again at verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king! Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. This last line, look at it. Everyone who is of the truth Listens to my voice. Look at that line very carefully. Not everyone truly hears Jesus. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate heard Jesus. Pilate knew something true about Jesus. Pilate was getting, oh, so you are a king. Okay, great. He believed something about Jesus. He believed Jesus was innocent. You read the Gospels. Pilate didn't believe Jesus deserved to die. He thought Jesus was truly innocent. There was some truth he believed about Jesus, but he wasn't truly listening to him as king. They are moments away from handing Jesus over to crucifixion, hearing him speak, hearing him proclaim his kingdom, but they're not really listening to him because they're not really in the truth. Listen, some of you here today, you believe true things about Jesus. Great. That's that's step one. you got to believe that. You believe true things about Jesus, but you haven't really submitted yourself to Jesus as your king. And that sends you to hell. Again, I tell you this all the time. Heaven is not a place for people who just don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who actually love, worship, and submit to Jesus as their king. That's who goes to heaven. No one wants to go to hell. It's a bad place. Everyone with two brain cells knows that. No one wants to go there. But simply not wanting to go to hell isn't the same as submitting to Jesus as your king. And I want you to hear how great and amazing this is. You and I, 
rebelled against our one true king. And think about just history, right? When someone rebels against a king, what does the king do? Kill them. Squash the rebellion. Destroy those who would seek to come against him. But that's not what your great king did. You and I rebelled against our true king. We tried to depose him as king. We tried to subvert that and create our own kingdom. We tried to siphon off people into our own little kingdoms. And Jesus the great king deserved to destroy the rebellion. But instead he allowed himself the king to be killed. So that you and I can be set free and join his kingdom. He died to save you from your rebellion. He submitted himself to death so that you could finally be free to submit to him as king. Have you done that? Have you submitted yourself to Jesus as your king? He came and he died and he rose again so that you can be set free from your sin and submit to him as king. And for those of you that have done that, You've submitted yourself to Jesus as king and salvation. Can we just chat for a second? On a day-to-day basis, on a day-to-day, in-and-out basis, do you still live consistently, every moment, like just Jesus is your king? Ultimately, you just live for him. You submit to him. You care about what he thinks. If the king is for me, I couldn't care less what anyone else thinks because he's king. The problem is many of us who are believers in Christ don't walk that out consistently. What other people think of us becomes king. How they view us becomes king. That's why we're so crushed and destroyed when we perceive that someone may think ill about us or speak ill about us. That's why we lose our minds That's why we say stupid things on social media. Because at the end of the day, what that person thought of you was your king. And when they did not keep up their end of the deal, it destroyed you. For some of you, fear is your king. Just fear. So you live in submission to fear all the time. Fear of things that probably won't ever even happen. But we allow fear to be our king. And I want you to see it as this. Fear, you're not just, this is not who you are. You're not just a born worrier. You are submitting to a king. See it as that. Shoot, let's get real practical. For some of us, your king is your phone. You can't go 30 seconds. I've been watching you scroll through Instagram as I'm preaching. There's not a wall here. Like, I can see you. Seriously, I want you to think about it like this. Is your phone your king? You submit to it. You worship it. You lay yourself down before it. You would be lost without it. Think of this world as kings and servants. The whole point of the Bible 
What's going to make the Bible make sense for you is when you see it's all pointing to one glorious truth. Jesus Christ is your great king, and he died in your place for your rebellion so that you could be rescued from the domain and kingdom of darkness and be transferred into his kingdom as his beloved, glorious, redeemed servant. Is this what you've done? Is this how you live? I'm going to ask our band to come up, and I'm going to ask you if you'd be so kind just to kind of bow your heads for a moment. We're going to end our time here together, worshiping. And as we do that, I want you to really think through this. One of the great storylines of the Bible is that Jesus is the true and better king. And the only way you're going to find your place in the story of God is if you submit yourself to him as king. Have you done this? Have you rejected the kingdoms of this world? Have you rejected yourself as a king and fear as a king and this world as a king and people around you as your king? Have you rejected all of that? And just said, Jesus, you are my king. I submit to you. I trust you. I love you. I serve you. Do you see Jesus as your true king? Today, perhaps some of you need to, for the first time, make Jesus your king. You know truth about Jesus, and that's amazing. That's good. That's start. That's step one. But simply knowing true things about Jesus doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It doesn't make you a Christian. You have to submit yourself to Jesus as king, rejecting this world and turning just to him. Today, I want to encourage you to do that. To Jesus Christ, I know that I rebelled against you, against your rule, against your kingdom. But Jesus, you died in my place and rose again so that I can be set free from that rebellion and serve you as my king. I submit myself to you. Forgive me of my rebellion. I give my life to you. Just today, in your own words, say that to Jesus. Call out to him for forgiveness, for salvation. And today, acknowledge to him that you are submitting yourself to him as king. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, have we allowed other kings to very subtly creep in, just like the serpent in the garden, subtly snuck in and said, why don't you just go this way? This is a better way. And in doing that, you're inadvertently deposing Jesus as king and, and, and serving a different king. As we spend some time worshiping together here this morning, I want to give you a chance to spend some time with the Lord and ask Him about this. Let Him search your heart. If you'd like to come forward and pray, you can. If you'd like to come forward and have someone talk with you, pray with you. I'm up front. My wife is up front. We'd love to talk with you. Let's take a few moments and let's worship Jesus as our King, confessing and repenting of any times that we have sought other kings.
and submitting ourselves to him and him alone. Jesus, thank you. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.
sing that chorus again. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. that we can come to you because our, our sacrifice, our redemption was bought by you. Our rebellion was covered over by you. So now we get to live in a new kingdom with a new king that is loving and gracious and kind and merciful, that is gentle and patient, that fills us and empowers us with the spirit to be able to walk in submission to him. It's gracious when we rebel, forgiving when we stumble, and desiring us to see how great and amazing you are. Thank you, Lord, we get to be in that kingdom. I pray, God, that you would empower us to live in that kingdom for your glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, have a seat for me, Will, just for a moment, guys. As we wrap up our time together, just have a couple of quick announcements. One, if you're a guest with us, again, welcome. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is just to grab your cell phone and text the word connect to our number, 910-424-1298. Uh, that's how we can get connected with you and know how we can minister to you. Uh, but for everyone, we've got three big announcements that we want to share. Uh, to let you know what's going on here, how you can be plugged in. One is this, our mission team, which is uh, uh, just finishing up a uh, 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 mission uh, trip in Kentucky. Went phenomenal. Can't wait to tell you more about that in the future. Uh, but now, next with our missions team, uh, we're asking if you could help us put together some school supplies. We're gonna, we like to give out school supplies to, to kids here in our neighborhood. And so um, as you leave these side doors, you're going to have some boxes there over the next couple of weeks. If you can just bring in some school supplies, that would be great. So we can put all that together to help minister to kids here in our neighborhood. Uh, second, uh, men's retreat uh, coming up in October for all of our guys. If you could finish up your final payments for that by August 1, you got a couple of weeks. We'd appreciate that so you can know for sure who we have going and what we have going on. Uh, so that's going to be by August 1 for that. And then lastly, um, you can go to southviewbc.com and find downloads from songs that we sing here. You can find the God story, testimony videos that we show, all that's listed there as well. Great resource for you to go and just be encouraged throughout the week, hearing great stories of God's faithfulness, singing songs of praise to God for His goodness and His faithfulness. So just ways that we're seeking to help encourage you throughout the week. Uh, and for all our other announcements, everything that's going on, you can download the app, uh, Southview uh, Baptist Church app, iTunes or Google Play. Uh, you can give online through the app or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. 
God bless you guys. We love you so, so much. If you need anything, just let us know. Uh, I love you. I'm praying for you this week. God bless you guys. See you next Sunday.